2: Welcome to A Complete History of Manchester United. I'm your host Wayne Barton, author and producer of several Manchester United books and films, joined as always on this journey through Old Trafford history by the legendary football writer and author Paddy Barclay. If you're watching this video, please give it a like and subscribe if you've Uh, watching on youtube joining the conversation in the comments section if you're listening back on uh, the audio podcast please be sure to subscribe and give us a review on the platform you're listening on also uh, a repeated note for those listening on the audio podcast um, it is worth out, worth checking out the video version as well, because we do put some graphics up there that sort of help and assist what we're yeah. talking about. Although, you know, hopefully still enjoyable on the audio podcast as well. We're just making sure that we're getting the multi-platform experience for all of our listeners and watchers as well. Um, Paddy, in the last episode, we took in the 52-53 season um, and observed mm-hmm. as Busby ruthlessly tore apart his title-winning team um, and the 48 side, as we've um, mentioned a few times. I mean, it's well sort of documented in United history that the 52 um winning team was the 48 side effectively. Yes. Um, yeah, very in, much
3: uh, very much so. There's still the, the spine of that team intact, but not
2: for so much longer. No, um in the pre season as well, we talk I mean we're gonna talk about the players who are on the way out in this season, but um in the pre season there was one more casualty that we said we mentioned Johnny Carey at the end of the last season. He's gone to manage uh, Blackburn now, but in the preseason, Johnny Downey goes to uh, Luton. After, um, as we said, a very understated career, but a valuable contribution. Oh, yeah even maybe by himself, and maybe I mean we talked about Johnny Morris and how confident he was. Yeah, um, Downey came in a, as a, an understated re- replacement for him, and perhaps because he never had the confidence of him, that's why he's not talked about as as often. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that 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 certainly
3: was Busby's. Uh, reflection on it uh, in late later when 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 he thought about you know why Downey had not made the same impact, um, although he had a title medal and, and scored a lot of goals and made a lot of appearances, he was well liked. It's not as if he was a sort of difficult character <clears throat> in any way, shape, or form. Um, but uh, the only thing Busby theory Busby could ca- come up with was that he was the opposite of Johnny Morris in terms of. Self-confidence and self-belief, um, but still had a good career. And interestingly, the it wasn't as if it would go down as a as a dodgy buy or 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 something like that because uh, he paid eighteen, <coughs> excuse me, eighteen thousand. Busby did for for Johnny Downey, and he got ten thousand of that back when Downey stepped down a division to the second division to join Luton Town. So, you know, all in all, for you know, to to get a title-winning um attacking midfield player for for in effect a net eight
2: thousand was was very good business. Yeah. You might liken it for <laughs> if um modern obviously everyone listening to this is gonna be modern than it to be from the 1930s or 40s. But um people listening to this might um look at Teddy Sheringham and think, do you know what that's a, a very similar kind of situation, yeah. not in terms of a player, but in terms of the contribution following Cantonar. Never the first choice all the time, uh, but made a very good contribution. No, but rather, ra- it's a good, good comparison. Rather
3: like Downey, if you look at Sheringham's figures for United, let alone his achievements in terms of trophy winning, uh, if you look at the treble season and so on. So, yes, Downey, but it's a good comparison. Um, you know, not not considered an absolute United legend, but, um, but yeah, a good, uh, good contributor to
2: the club's history, yeah. Yeah, and that's why I love doing this podcast, really, is to shine a light on people like that. It's not many people talk about Johnny Downey, but I'm glad that we've given him yeah. his due um, credit in this in this season. Um, it's a really, really miserable start to the season, Paddy. Um, three defeats and five draws from the first eight games. United mm-hmm. were looking to bounce forward from the eighth, place finish of the previous season mm-hmm. but um this really terrible run of form culminated with Busby making a few changes realising really that the, the older generation that he's got in the team are really they really are coming towards the end it all culminated I mean the form picked up a little bit but it really all culminated in the um late October period wasn't it because there's yeah. an uninspiring one win over Aston Villa where big changes are aflo- because even though they win they get tons of criticism in the press mm-hmm. yes yeah, that's right. Um, I mean, they were a
3: long way behind the team of the moment, which was Wolves, you know, the great you know, rivalry between Cullis of Wolves and Busby of United. Um, a, a long, long way behind, or so it seemed. Uh, as you rightly say, there were grumbles. The crowds were not good. Uh, I mean, there had been a fall since the post-war peak in 1948 in, in their tendencies over the peace. But Uniteds had actually fallen a little bit above the average. So uh, there was discontent, and uh, perhaps, except among the really knowledgeable, a lack, a despite Busby's contention that there's 200,000 pounds worth of talent in the youth ranks and so on, uh, um, despite all of that, there was this sort of, well, that's all very well, but let's see it in the team. Well, as you rightly say, in the autumn, those kids began to graduate en masse into the first team. Um, And it was, uh, some some people sort of date this from the friendly against Kilmarnock, which was, I think, in November, I'm not sure, late October, November. Um, And it it, it, was supposed to have thrown the kids in. Well, it wasn't quite as uh, radical as that. Um, At Kilmarnock, Dennis Violet, local local product, uh, did come in. Um, at the expense of of Harry McShane um, indirectly and uh, funnily enough because it was a friendly to open the Kilmarnock floodlights um, substitutes were allowed uh, which of course weren't allowed in first class matches and uh, Duncan Edwards came on as sub. so yes it's fair to, to date the Busby Babes from that but the Busby Babes phrase was born a little bit later, because um, only weeks later, um, United fielded a, a, a young side at Huddersfield. It was a nil-nil draw, but apparently a sparkling game, because the Manchester Evening Chronicle headline read, Busby's Bouncing Babes Keep Whole Town Awake. Uh, clever headline. And uh, because of Huddersfield Town. Um, and apparently, yeah, really, really good entertainment despite the lack of goals. It was that then a two-all draw against the Arsenal, Old Trafford? And then it took off. The Busby Bades took off. 6-1 at Cardiff and a magnificent performance uh, at Blackpool, where I, I think, Wayne, you would agree that this was the delivery to Old Trafford because the, the big win at Cardiff had been away, suddenly Old Trafford, with 52,000 watching and beginning to believe, saw an absolutely
2: glorious performance against Blackpool. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, we talked about the Villa game, we talked about the attendances, so let's have a look at that. The Villa game, it dropped to 30,266. Mm. Against Arsenal, the 2-2 draw, um, 28,000 at Old Trafford so um yeah they, they came back um to you know an extra twenty thousand came in through the, the doors against um against blackpool i just want to run through that team because it's so interesting to look at this it's five years from the final <coughs> and mm-hmm. the nine changes in that team most mm-hmm. have come through the youth system so it's ray wood goal bill folks at right back roger at left back Chilton playing that role in the middle um mm. Whitefoot and Edwards are the halfback line. They're yeah, effectively the defensive midfielders, and then yeah. the forward line is um, berry Blanche, Flower, Taylor, Violet, roller he's playing on the mm. left hand side as yeah. Taylor's coming to the middle and immediately mm. made an impact. Uh, in yeah. there, Taylor scores an hat trick in the uh, in the win over Blackpool. Violet gets the other goal. It's an incredible turnaround of players, that isn't it, Paddy? I mean, we talked about them as we've gradually dropped them into the series, but to yeah. make nine changes like that, um, Wood and Chilton, no, sorry, it's not Wood and Chilton, is it? It's um, Chil- Chilton and Rowley, the only ones who are still Yes, in the. Um, oops, and Rowley, Rowley just hanging on. In fact, they're both just hanging yeah. on.
3: <clears throat> the other thing is that uh, even though Taylor was a bought player, Barry was a bought player but if you take the two veterans from 48 out the average team the average age of the team of the nine the other nine was 21 average so i mean uh, this this was definitely the the birth of the babes if you like and um and really it captured the uh, if you don't mind i'll just read a little from there was a great um sports writer the football writer at the time called Donnie davis <coughs> um who wrote for the manchester guardian and he he writes of of his journey home from from old trafford on that that glorious day nothing uh, nothing amuses the ordinary citizen so easily he wrote as the spectacle of a dignified policeman trying in vain to fasten his grip on a quick-witted eel-like ragamuffin. There was some such flavour when Manchester United's team of young hopefuls, steadied by one or two seniors, ran rings round Blackpool to the tune of four splendid goals to one. It was, as one literary gent tried to explain to an open-mouthed bus conductor later in the evening the apotheosis of the upstart, my friend, the acme of impudence. Uh, it gives you a flavour of what that team was like, you know, the, <clears throat> the, the cheeky young kids, you know, running rings round. I, I wonder if the literary gent, by the way, was Donnie Davis himself um, on his way home from the match on the bus uh, <laughs> up to Prestwich, where he lived. I don't know. Um, but uh, lovely stuff, isn't it? And uh, And definitely gives you the gives you an air of what it must have been like on that day among the 52,000 at Old Trafford,
2: more or less a capacity crowd. Yeah. The, the footnotes from that. Um, first of all, I want to mention Don Davis. If anyone can get this, and we're not shilling stuff, we're not shilling our own books on this <laughs> podcast series, but if anyone can get a, a copy of Don Davis's, it's John, Jack Cox really who wrote this, an old international memoirs of uh, Don Davis's sports ride pick picked that up because that's kind of, literary genius that um paddy just mentioned it's there in buckets in that book is absolutely incredible he, um, he certainly is one of the one of the uh all-time greats if you
3: study the history of sports journalism in this country at that, that time the the guardian had the great cricket writer neville Cardus. well donny davis was was football's answer to neville Cardus. i mean really you just don't get them they just don't make them like that anymore and i'm glad you uh, i'm glad you mentioned that because uh,
2: if you like good writing good sports writing that's how it was done yeah um and the the other thing to mention you mentioned the 20 the the age of 21 the average age of 21 i just want to put that in perspective um because yeah. you said 21 21 by football standards doesn't probably seem that old for uh, that young for the modern listener but i want to just mention the average age of the 1996 cup final team and i I mention this because i talk about it when i I compare it to the tommy docker era Mm -hmm. and the cup final age in 1977 was the same as 1996 and that would be the reason why 1996 is important is because it was the birth of the Fergie's fledglings who'd been in the mm. side for sort of 18 months en masse at this point, the average age of that team was 24. Mm. And that was the same mm. as the the one in 1977. So to move it back a further three years mm. is, is quite remarkable, really. Um, yeah. But that shows you the, the confidence that Busby had, even though the results had <laughs> started quite... Um, Quite, quite badly, but this is a, another thing, Paddy, as well. I mean, it's not just transition at United, there was a massive transition in the domestic game, um, November 1953. Um, I know this is a United podcast and we're we'll talking about that, but we have to balance it against the perspective of everything that was happening in the game. And every there's a massive game in November 1953, one for the ages, yeah. which was Hungary versus England. Um, I just, well, as you say,
3: it, it is very much pertinent to United because the babes watched England 3, Hungary 6 on television. On
2: television. This newfangled thing called television. Uh, Do you want me to talk about that? Please do. Before you do, let me just... um, I'll talk about... We talked about the shirt number things in earlier episodes, and I wanted to now bring that into the the reference here. Uh, We we talked about why the shirt numbers are important and people lining up from 1 to 11 in that um, 235325 formation. Um, the Hungarian tactical master plan included as a feature players in the forward line dropping back deeper than they expected and wearing numbers. I mean, they, first of all, they played with two strikers, but the mm. two strikers were wearing eight and ten. Mm. And Iddy Guti, uh, who was wearing number nine, was starting so deep that Harry Johnston of Blackpool, who was England's centre-half, was drifting 4-2 mm. forward. And the pace of uh, Puskas and Cock. Coxey, I want to say, I can not really pronounce it very well. Uh, they were yeah. the actual strikers and they had all the space to do with as they wished, and they absolutely lacerated England mm-hmm. repeatedly. I mean, this game had ramifications. Paddy, you already mentioned the scoreline of 6 3. They stopped scoring after the 53rd minute, probably fearful of starting yeah. a riot in front of 100,000 fans.
3: 5,000 on, on an afternoon, a November afternoon <coughs> at Wembley such was the reputation of the of the hungarian team uh worldwide they'd not lost for three and a half years but even so that most of those 105,000 did not go there expecting it to be um, anything other than an england victory bear in mind england had only lost um once at home in their history that was at goodison park a few years earlier when they'd lost to the Republic of Ireland, captained by United's you know, Johnny Carey, um, and so I, I would think most of the—I'm sure most of the um, spectators were shocked, not so much perhaps by the fact that England didn't walk have their usual walkover uh, against the continental side, but by the severity of of, of the uh, humiliation that Wayne has just alluded to. So. Yeah, it was and it was it was watched. I mean, television had just really come in. A big spurt had, had occurred in television sales by the coronation yeah. uh, in 1953 of Queen Elizabeth the Um Everyone wanted to see that. So they rushed down to the TV shops and got the black and white TVs. But um, and football had caught up in, in, in the Matthews final, also, you know, in the previous season, 1952 3, um, uh, Blackpool 4, Bolton Wanderers 3, um, an obligingly entertaining match, um, had been televised live. And this was all new. And television also, BBC television was the only television. Um, also chose to show the England-Hungry match, but not all of it, yeah. only the second half. So Mrs. Watson, who we've spoken of before, Mrs. Watson, Margaret Watson and her husband, who were the, they were, Margaret was the landlady for the for the babes, basically, Duncan Edwards and all the others that came from out of town, um, Jackie Blanchflower, so on, uh, David Pegg, Mark Jones, They all stayed at Mrs. Watson's, and Mrs. Watson had one of these state-of-the-art televisions. So they settled down to watch the second half, and as a TV duly having been warmed up, the commentator brought them up to date. It was England 2, not bad, Hungary 4. They hadn't seen it. They had to wait until the Pathé News in the cinemas because the first half wasn't televised, um, they hadn't seen the famous goal. If you if you, if you know your history of, of football, you know that about the famous Ferenc Puskas goal, where he drags the ball back, leaving Billy Wright of England sliding on his bum and lashes it inside the near post, and and they had to wait, but. The Hungarians did duly lay on a couple of quick goals in the second half to make it 6-2 before Alf Ramsey, you know, managed a sort of semi-consolation goal to make it England 3, Hungary 6. And you can imagine Mark Jones, young man though he was, he smoked a pipe and he must have bitten through the stem when he saw that. Um, and uh, it, was, it was a great performance. And you say... Yes, we're veering away from Manchester United into England territory, but not quite, because Busby, Busby's Manchester United. But this this Hungarian team was Busby's favourite. This yeah. was his. This was his football. And <clears throat> when the inevitable inquest started in the media after the after the six three defeat, um, a lot of the argument was, but. Yeah, we're we're we are learning. You look at Manchester United; they're playing a a sort of Hungarian one one and two touch football. Uh, they interchange positions more than the average team. Other people disagreed. Other people said, "No, no, who's top of the league? Wolves. The directness, pace, Stan Cullis' football. That's the the way forward. It's we we if we you know are true to this." <clears throat> Gung ho football. We won't have too much to fear from the Hungarians. Well, the the, the FA, of Stanley Rouse, the um, the, uh, the the FA FA secretary boss, really chief executive, convened a meeting of um, managers and chairman, at which Busby argued, "Let's have fewer fixtures to give more time for training and." And because uh, there were 22 clubs in the Premier, the equivalent of the Premier League at that time, he wanted it trimmed a bit um, to, to give more time for training and, and less pressure on, on the players to play. And um, he thought that would, that would help. Um, but because there were not only 22 managers there, but 22 chairmen, the chairman thinking, well, we don't want to lose one or two home matches the revenue from that they quashed that idea and it was well it it was decades before that <clears throat> that came about but um yes it was uh there was there was a huge huge debate um and not only that um bosby Bus- wasn't the only one who learned from the hungarians and was influenced by them uh, even in manchester his friend les mcdowell another scott was the manager of uh, man city and he immediately ordered his reserve team to play in this style with the 10 and the 8 as the furthest forward and the number 9 the false nine there i said <laughs> um uh, and at the end of the season he announced that uh, from then on the first team would be trained throughout the summer in this system so um yeah it 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 did have a lot to do with uh, uh, although it was it was an England story, it had a lot to, to do with football in in Manchester in particular.
2: Yeah, um, that would become known as a review Plan, wouldn't it? And I always loved that because
3: well, you, it was, it, you you could really call it the Hidikuti Plan because Natal exactly, exactly. An
2: English football <laughs> stealing and then famous. They it was ours all along. Blatant, blatant plagiarism, yeah, unbelievable. But, um,
3: as if um, at, at England, though. T- to be fair, before we move off the subject of England. We, we must move to the end of the season <clears throat> and um, and say that England had a chance to get revenge for that 6-3 defeat because the return match was played in the nep Stadium in Budapest. Again, a huge crowd turned up and uh, England uh, lost 7-1. Uh, so it was 13... 13- 3 13, 4 on aggregate it's fair to say that um, that we had something to learn in britain from the uh from the magical magyars yeah um,
2: back, back to united <laughs> yeah you mentioned though that england it, they did take a long time to come out of the dark ages for at first like that fa stubborn approach um which will be sort of present in united's attempts to get into the european cup and everything like that yeah, uh, they really tried to double down on the english style didn't they like oh we're not going to come out of the dark ages we're going to just keep persevering with what we want to do yes um it was the, well, the other there was, thing there was evidence i suppose in wolves um yeah.
3: excellence at that time the wonderful team mullen and hancock's on the wings you know Broadbent just buying a bit of craft um you know Wilshaw scoring goals, Swinburne. You know, it was a it was a very, very good side. So I suppose there was an argument which was to be prolonged um in friendly matches by Wolves, that their way was, was still
2: the best way for English football
3: to, to persevere. Yeah,
2: we'll certainly come to those games as well in due course. So another just a footnote as we before we move on to that, he talks about Bus- Busby's visionary um, approach. This all ties into his um, desire to make Manchester United a more global um, enterprise, really, because he'd mm. already taken them to America and competed against um, the, the great sides of North America and around, but even the, the poor sides, the college sides and stuff like that. But they were they were doing it to try and increase brand exposure and everything like that. Yes. before brand exposure was even a thing. And um, obviously, with the Blue Star tournament, which still we'll talk about later on in, in this, very episode, yeah. they were they were trying to compete against the European opposition as well. And I know that you have poked fun at me for this one before, but. Um, It's kind of why Busby and Murphy got on so well, because Murphy, part of his ideology of football, he would really, uh, before Busby had spotted him in Bari, Murphy had learned his coaching. um, He'd really got the coaching bug when he'd gone to France. um, He'd seen the Austrian national team uh, training, and they were Mm. coached by Jimmy Hogan, who was Mm. coached was a revolutionary coach uh, yes. with the Austrians and the Hungarians. So they yes. were well aware of what the Hungarians were going to do to England. Mm. Maybe not on the, on the scale in which they did it, but they were well aware that the continental kind of style was the way forward. That yes. They shared that that's, ideology completely.
3: That's, that's true. Busby was a, was a Hoganite. If uh, I've just, I've just invented that word, but uh, yes, Hogan's sort of, pan European vision of the game, um, his belief in passing and um was 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 very much Busby's belief too.
2: Yeah. Um, United's own revolution gathered a little bit of pace after um, Christmas, not enough to really challenge the top of the table but they do finish fourth, I'll tell you run through some of the scorelines which will sort of give you an indication of um, how this was going, they scored five against Liverpool and Sheffield Wednesday at Old Trafford but they conceded five at Burnley and against Bolton at Old Trafford so it's obviously teething problems.
3: Given the the poor start, fourth is not bad
2: actually Uh, and it's, it's a great tribute to the immediate impact of the Babes yeah, and the, um, another note on the transition or the scale of the transition. Just before Christmas, um, United Reserves won against Wolves Reserves. And you might think, oh, well, this is a good indication of the future, considering Wolves are the dominant side. But wait until I read the side out to you the, the United Reserve side Crompton, Aston, Redmond, yeah. Gibson, Coburn, <laughs> Scott, Pearson, Cassidy. And the three kids in the side are Lewis, Jones, and Peg. It's remarkable that they've got that amount of power in the reserve side. Well, I, th- I think also
3: Busby wouldn't want to wouldn't want to lose the Cullis, Although he was a great friend, <laughs> he was his main rival. So he, he, he stuck a few uh, a few wise old heads in there. And uh, what was the score?
2: Um, I,
3: I, I think yeah, it was three one. United United won, did they? Yeah, oh, yeah they, they won. <coughs> yeah. They won. Well, that there you are. would I mean, these Wolves and and they. They were also to meet in the two, these two great rivals, uh, United and Wolves were to meet as well again in the youth cup final.
2: Yeah. um, Let's talk about the young aspects of it again. The scorelines do become a little bit more respectable as the season goes on. and They narrow as well. So it's not five scored and five conceded. Mm. Um, But you can see the the run of consistency. (laughs) They they win four, they lose three, they win two, Mm. they lose one. um, Mm. As these kids are getting used to life in senior football. So they do finish fourth. Which is a decent conclusion, although they do have the FA Cup disappointment with the 5-3 at Burnley. Um, you mentioned the um, the first iteration of the Busby Babes or the Busby bouncing babes. When United lose 2-0 to Blackpool later in the season, mm. um the 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 actual bouncing babes part of it gets truncated and Busby <laughs> Babes is put in the um it's I think it's the Evening Telegraph um, in Blackpool, uh, the, the green supplement. So Blackpool skill beats the Busby Babes. Um, and they, they did, obviously. But the youth team, as you mentioned, Paddy, they, they did continue to deliver. Um, there was another FA Youth Cup winning that win over Wolves. A very entertaining 4-4 draw in the first game. And then yeah. they win 1-0 in the second leg. And the kind of players who are coming through in that team are Eddie Coleman, mm-hmm. Wolf McGuinness, Bobby Charlton, Albert Scanlon. This time round, they're able to accept the invite to the Blue Star Tournament, which you may be able to see on your screen now. Um, oh, yeah. they, they win the tournament, of course, because they're the best team in there. And if you um, are watching the video version, you're going to see um, some very distinguished names in Old Trafford history there. David Pegg, the captain, who was accepting the trophy from the mayor of Manchester, Lord Mayor of Manchester, on their civic return, with the reception that they get on the return. So you've got peg there collecting the trophy in the back looking on proudly you've got jimmy murphy and bert wally and um, right in the middle and um, wolf mcginnis with a you he might confuse you with his shock of hair looking a little bit like johnny morris there but um yeah a lot of babes in in that team there and as you can see i very proud to to receive this inaugural award because it's the first european trophy won by manchester united team really the blue star tournament um even by the end of the season, Paddy, the reserves, I know these players, again, we're going to mention them later, mm. uh, but the reserve team, we talked about the the star names like your Crompton, your Aston, your Redmond, these players who had been mentioned many times in this series already, uh, mm. but at the end of the season, the reserve team, the kids are pushing them out of the reserve team. We've got Clayton in goal. Goodwin, Freddie Goodwin, you've got Jeff Ben, who and the player we're going to mention, Albert Scanlon, So all these players are coming in, and um, not even just dominating the first team. They're saying, "Come on, our time in the reserves as well." So yeah. the transition is just remarkable, and the, the pace of it now, considering where we were 18 months ago, is just astonishing by any measure, isn't it? Mm. Yes, it,
3: it. I mean, I find it hard. I, I think we find it hard to to keep up with the volume of young players coming through we're just sort of suddenly chucking in names like violet coleman um you know the 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 david peck all of them um sometimes for very sad reasons destined to become united legends um you know and 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 we're not we're not mentioned you you know and then suddenly we pick up another three names it's it's bewildering it is it is genuinely bewildering the prolific nature of the youth development now um, uh, at, at Old Trafford even greater with jo- Joe Armstrong having joined the thing than it had been in the Louis Rocker days extraordinary
2: yeah and delight to call by the way I'm running through these names because they mentioned in the Blue Star and the youth club when they're introduced into the first team don't get um, worried we're gonna be giving those guys a lot of yeah. love and, and the, the due mention that we have for every first team player so far. And well, let's get into that first team player squad then. There's only two introductory this season, but I will run through the squad as I normally do while I pop up the first one in there, who is yeah. Norm McFarland. These are forward, so I'll get to him in a moment. So the, the team, Ray Wood is a senior goalkeeper, and as always, I will put up the tactics. I'll talk through the tactics in a moment of the regular first team, but Ray Wood is the first team goalkeeper. Um, 28 appearances in all competitions, 27 in the league. Um, Jack Crompton makes a fair amount of appearances, 15 again as he's on the way out. uh, But he's established himself as by far a more reliable deputy than the erratic number of goalkeepers Busby was bringing through. Reg Allen, obviously, is is, uh, retired by now um, after serving the club well and winning the title. Um, John Aston... Clearly, towards the end now, he's he scores two in 12 appearances in the league. Roger Byrne established as that left-hand side um, full-back with three goals in 41 league appearances, um, 42 appearances in all competitions. Bill Foulkes is at right-back, and we'll get to him in a moment when we look at the tactics. He plays 32 games and scores a single goal. He's replaced Tommy McNulty at, at right-back, and McNulty makes just four appearances this season uh, without scoring. Billy Redmond, the... Uh, um, erstwhile left back is makes a, a single appearance this season. The half line: Alan B Chilton, forty two appearances, a single goal, forty three in all competitions. Emery Coburn, eighteen appearances in the league. Duncan Edwards is sort of hammering these guys out of the way with twenty five appearances in the league and uh, twenty five in all competitions. Sorry, and twenty four in the league. Gibson, deputising at the right side of, of the half back line um, with seven appearances in the league, but. Jeff Whitefoot has established himself there now, and he makes 38 appearances in the league and 39 in all competitions. The other nominal um, halfback is Jackie Blanchflower, but he plays predominantly in the forward line this season as um, Busby's trying to find out a new way to generate the goals in that forward line. Um, Mm. He's he's got the assists from Johnny Berry on the right-hand side, 37 appearances and five goals, um, 38 in all competitions. Blanche by the way, 14 goals in 28 appearances in all competitions, 13 in 27 in the league. Um, Eddie Lewis, six, in, six appearances, one goal in the league and, and in all competitions. Pegg just reduced to nine appearances as he's um, acclimatising uh, into the first team in a slower pace, um, dipping in and out. Um, Stan Pearson, another player who's been a veteran and a long um, servant of United, makes just 11 appearances and, and scores two goals. Harry McShane, um, again, we talked about incoming in as a veteran and helping out. Um, nine appearances, no goals this season. Rowley with um, 12 appearances and 36 goals, 12 goals, sorry, in 36 appearances, 37 in all competitions. Uh, Tommy Taylor, top scorer, 23 goals in 36 or 22 in 35. Dennis Violet, um serving as an able deputy with or an able foil i should say for taylor 12 goals in 30 and 11 in 29 you know in the league um so with that just brings us to mcfarlane and colin webster the two lads who were the squad members who who were introduced this season no mcfarlane made just one single appearance and this was the only appearance he ever made for the club um, an inside forward from Ireland, and now he'd scored twice in the 7 1 Youth Cup final win in the first leg like, in the previous season. Yeah. Um, but he favoured the right hand side and he just wasn't good enough to displace Johnny Berry. So you might think of him as um, the Terry Cook of his day, as we'll come to Terry Cook in the future, <laughs> but um, but yeah, he, he you know, he had a lot of talent, but he just you know, he proved it at youth team level. but. The, the step-up was... Um, you can't even say the step-up was too big because this is going to be a problem that we'll come to when we get to the 90s. It's just that Johnny Berry was so good. Mm-hmm. And when you've got a player in the um, peak of his career like that, then it's very hard to um, break these... Imp- and uh, by the way, as we come through the, the coming seasons in the Babes and when you talk about the, the ridiculous quality of strength and depth that they've got, this is going to be a common occurrence. Noel McFarlane, um, one appearance, but um, definitely worth more than one appearance, I should say, as a United player. And um, Colin Webster is the other lad. Um, Just a single appearance this season, no goals. He's a Welsh striker who, like McFarlane, had been tasked with being Barry's understudy and was probably a little bit more equipped for that in the early days. I know he'd make his own name as as time goes on. He'd actually been a part-time motor fitter Mm -hmm. and a reserve at Cardiff, spotted by Jimmy Murphy and signed... Um, in the summer of nineteen fifty-two, um, he did prefer to play through the middle, which is where he would kind of make his name in the future. But as he was being introduced into the first team, um, it was um, as a foil for Berry, just like McFarlane. Um, we've talked through the tactics, and we've talked about this before, Paddy. And I, I want to put <laughs> the I am um, going to put up a contemporary um, diagram of again yeah. all the tactics were shown in the days. In oh yes, game at Burnley, um, which was played in February. Um 2-0 to Burnley, as you can see, someone scribble on the thing there, and it looks very much like a two-three-five. But yeah. like we said before, Chilton dro- does drop back into that um, line. And, and like the, fullbacks, the fullbacks are so narrow on that picture, but they're mm. obviously not they're playing wide, um yeah. playing wide down the lines. Not not as wide as the wingers, but um wide nonetheless to provide the balance down the um, side so I think it's just one of those that uh, if it's like a traditional printing kind of thing that they did with the programs back in those days but um, mm. perhaps it took a little bit of time for them to catch up with um, with the times so not as much as long as it would take the English FA presumably after um, after those, if you look at the, if you're looking at the video, um, by the way, yes. you will see some of the great advertisements on that program. Later. Oh, they're, they're terrific. But the thing that stands out
3: for me, uh, I'm afraid that I'm going to be a bit personal here. Uh, you notice that Jimmy Adamson has dropped out of the Burnley team on this occasion, <laughs> and the, the uh, replacement is Seath. Now that's Bobby Seath, who's a friend of mine. Uh, it, well into his 80s now um he he won a a title medal well he, he was eventually awarded a title medal for his contribution to a, a burnley title winning side um years on from this um and then he went to dundee and won a title with my favorite club dundee <laughs> um, so he won titles north and south of the border and he's still going strong as we speak and uh, I'm delighted to see him there because he's my pal. I like to think, uh, but yes, um, Peg comes in. Who's oh, a uh, Rolly? Peg comes in for Rowley for that game. But uh, yes, the influence of youth in that team is uh, is 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 so strong already. Roger Byrne, uh, incidentally, um, is making such an impact that. He played in the 7-1 England defeat in Budapest that we just spoke about. Uh, That was his second cap. He'd made his debut against Scotland for England um, uh, a month earlier. So uh, Roger Byrne, as well as having made a huge contribution to United's title-winning team, was was establishing himself as a serious England England left-back at that time. But uh, yeah, you can see that you can see the changes there. In fact, with the Chilton is the only one of the old uh, 48 team left in that particular side. Well, Jack Crompton, uh, who's in on that day. Yes, sorry. The only outfield player is Chilton. Remarkable, you said he made, he, he was an ever present in the league during that season, this season that we're talking about. Alan, uh, Alan Chilton, Allenby Chilton. Yeah. I mean, this is extraordinary. He must be about 120 by now. (laughs) But isn't it funny how, like a good wine, he just seems to get better and better and better.
2: Yeah, it was definitely assisting with the development of these lads because they needed that experience. And you could see he's a beacon in the middle of that team, really, uh, providing that experience. Poor old Seath, eh, coming up against Duncan Edwards. (laughs) Being happy to get that late, um, drafting into the side. This was... Yeah. uh, (laughs) yeah, That's true, yeah. The United, uh, the most common United side of the season, not in terms of that they played together, but in terms of um, consistent appearances. So Wood would be the first choice in there in goal. Uh, Folks, Chilton, Byrne in the back line, um, and then Whitefoot and Edwards playing, they got 17, 18 and 17 in the back line in the the defensive midfield. It's staggering, really, isn't it? That they are not even just teenagers, that they were young teenagers by football standards and Busby's yeah. got the, the goal to play them in first division football. Um Violet and Blanche Flower serving as the inside forwards. Blanche flower, as we said before, does traditionally favour playing a little bit further back, but it shows um, how good he is as a footballer that he um uh, you know and how strong he is as well that he can play further forward. It's
3: interesting there's there's just no experience. If you look at the middle midfield four yeah there's, there's just what would what would the average age of that be? It'd be under 20. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Chilton dropping everyone up there. In, with the, um, the, yeah. I'm,
2: I'm sure Chilton was uh, offering advice to the youngsters. Yes, definitely. Uh, as we mentioned before, the colors <clears people throat> haven't changed through the series. They're still playing in red and white and black at home and blue and white and black away. Um, just the two away strips. Um, and the average attendance for the season, 33,590, which is very much reflective of those um, difficult days in the middle of the season, really, when the the fans were not quite sure how everything was going um, and not really if they're ready to to pay that kind of patience. So, see, um, you know what I mean? They, they were a bit concerned about the, the, the drop in form and they weren't um, quite convinced that the, forward, uh, the young players coming in were ready to take that step up. But... As we see, the attendances did sort of pick up a little bit um, as they did become a little bit more convinced. Um, and the United review, as we mentioned before, and I'll probably pop up a, um, a, an image of this in future episodes, he's still not changed from the traditional handshake um, that we showed showed in the first episode. So um, tradition running right through Old Trafford at the moment. Um, but, yeah, that's that's it for United this season. Um in terms of key results, Paddy, the Villa one is always seen as a notable game yeah, right. with the friendly at, uh, in the midweek at Kilmarnock and then the nil-nil draw at Huddersfield the following week. that That's the week that's seen as a sliding doors moment in the club's history. And if, if, like you said, it's probably not factually accurate in terms of the number of changes, that it'd been such a gradual moment that it's probably that moment in time where Busby had said, no, I'm all in with the kids and we'll make this transition a proper one now as indicated by the fact that the reserve team was populated, mostly with the foot. <coughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so elsewhere in England, Wolves win the league, West Brom win the FA Cup in a Midlands clean sweep. We talked about Spurs and Newcastle doing the perennial um, tri- uh, trophy, Mr. Outers, in the early season. Uh, well, mm. what a success for the Midlands this time round, but United obviously do have that success in the FA Youth Cup, which is going to reap dividends for them in the future. England, yeah. like said, hoping for revenge, went to Hungary in May, and lost 7-1. <laughs> and they the, to the Youth Cup final,
3: though, was uh, although it was, you, you know, the, it, it, it was again the rivalry, the Cullis-Busby rivalry, but uh, much closer than, than yeah. um, the previous one. It was a four-all draw at Old Trafford, and then 29,000 turned up at Molyneux to, uh, to watch what they hoped would finally be a Wolves' Wolves win over United in the Youth Cup, but um, a, a David Pegg penalty took, took the trophy back to uh, to the cliff. And uh, uh, the, 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 this, was, this was Busby just hinting that he would be the winner of the Busby-Cullis rivalry, which at the moment stands at each manager has one league title and one FA Cup. Uh, So still a lot to play for. Oh, by the way, just one other thing, if we're talking about football generally, Preston North End lost the cup final um, to, as you say, West Bromwich, but uh, a consolation was that Tom Finney
2: of Preston, the Preston plumber, won footballer of the year fantastic stuff um hope you've enjoyed this it's been a a wide-ranging nostalgic episode this one because we've touched on many things and let's hope that united are going to be um well let's hope No spoilers, but um, maybe Busby can tip the Cullis rivalry in his own favour in the future episodes. Um, If you're watching this video, please do give it a like and subscribe and join in the conversation, as I said, in the comment section. If you're listening back on the audio podcast, please be sure to subscribe on that platform and give us a review on the platform that you're listening on. Thanks for watching, thanks for listening, and we'll be back with the next episode.
0: Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's.